You're listening to. And hey, you're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yu. And I'm Rira Yu. And on this episode, we're bringing you an author chat with Kate Chen Li, um, the author of A Bright Heart, a Chinese fantasy inspired um, revenge novel involving regression, magic, and betrayal. Um, if you're a fan of like Chinese and Korean web novels, webtoons, you might be familiar with these tropes. But we're really excited to talk to Kate about how she brought these classic tropes to, to Western audiences. But as always, the Books of Boba podcast is supported by our listeners at patreon.com slash books and Boba. Um, our Patreon subscribers get access to not only our Books and Boba members-only Discord server, as well as access to the Books and Boba Boba Chats, um, our special bonus podcast where Rira and I chat about things, um, books and otherwise. Yeah, I had a really fun time reading A Bright Heart. It was a lot um, breezier than I thought it would be because when I think of like revenge and time travel and second chances, I'm like, oh, wow, these are such heavy themes. But I had so much fun reading it. And um, like Marvin said, if you're a fan of like C-dramas, K-dramas, webtoons, you'll definitely recognize a lot of the tropes. So you could probably dive right in without uh, too much explanation. But for those who are unfamiliar with those tropes, I, th- I feel like you get up to speed pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, the genre itself is already really fun. It's essentially like a power fantasy, right? Like what happens if you can go back and do your life over again, knowing what you know about the future and how would you take revenge on your enemies? Yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy our conversation with Kate Chen Lee. And we're here with Kate Chen Lee, the author of A Bright Heart, which released on October 17th. Welcome to the show, Kate. Uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, happy to have you on the show, too. We always love to start off our author chats by getting to know our authors and their journey. So can you walk us through? It's a very broad question, but how did you become a novelist? Oh, OK. I, you guys already know that I grew up in China. Uh, so ever since I was a kid, uh, I've been fascinated with the concept of magic. Um, I've always enjoyed reading fantasy stories inspired by Chinese legends and mythology. I even dabbed in writing a little bit. Um, but the way Chinese education system was, it kind of it smothered your creativity. Like teachers, parents... They didn't want you to engage any activities outside school coursework. But I still remember my excitement when Journey to the West aired on TV. You've heard of Journey to the West, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah of course. Classic. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so um, I've never read the book because it was written a long time ago and the writing style, style could be a little bit hard to get into. But I love that TV show. It was such a huge success that it was rerun many times in China. I watched almost every rerun until college. I remember thinking to myself, wow, mm, I want to write a book like that. I mean, the vast imagination, the wonderful characters, 
and all kinds of demons and the devils, and most importantly, so many people loved it. So in high school, I was encouraged to study science and technology in college because art and literature were considered useless degrees back then. So in college, in college, I like to come up with stories on a whim using my roommates as the characters in the stories. They liked them enough to encourage me to write for the campus paper, but I felt that they only liked serious stories. So after college, I went to Michigan State University to study electrical and computer engineering. Oh well, I never liked it. It is well, very different from writing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, learn this. My college major was physics. That was even worse. <laughs> so anyway, while working at Ford, I joined an online Chinese forum where I posted my writings occasionally. And they loved it, and they kept telling, asking me what's gonna happen next. But I never finished those stories. It's like I wrote several chapters, then I lost interest, then I moved to something else. At the same time, the Chinese online publishing started to take off. It was kind of like Webpad, but much more sophisticated. Basically, any can anyone can register an account and start writing. If your writing is good enough, you will start gaining a following. Once you have a enough large following, the website editor will approach you, and they will、uh, they will offer to sign you. Then readers, after they sign you, then readers must pay to read the rest of your book. I thought it was a great idea. Maybe maybe I could start my writing career like that. So I tried to register on those sites. Well, obviously, none of them accepted registration from、uh, overseas account. So <laughs> I even emailed them. I say, "Hey, there's many Chinese living overseas. Why not give them a chance to share their stories?" Well, I never got a response, so、mm-hmm. I had to give up. <laughs> <clears throat> so then one day, one day suddenly, I was like, "What's this Harry Potter book? Why is it so popular?" It's I, I I'm I'm seeing it everywhere,、uh, so I'm like, maybe I maybe I'll give it a try. So I just borrowed a copy from the library, and I was like, wow, this is great, and this is so different from Chinese fantasy as well, and it's like I walk into a different world. Then, some a friend heard of me reading Harry Potter, and then she said, you have to read Lord of the Rings. It's considered the most classic fantasy in the Western world. You just have to read it. So I said, "Sure, okay." And then, I, was,、uh, I mean, from there, I just it was it, I just never stopped reading Western fantasy. <laughs> so I was like, it is very different from Chinese fantasy. Like, for example, you want to fly, okay? In Western fantasy, you use a carpet, but in Chinese fantasy. Uh, you fly on yeah, on clouds, and then also in Western fantasy you have like goblins, elves, that kind of creature. But in China, it's like animals. They became demons through cultivation, that kind of world building. And also like you have spirits from like plants, like you have flower spirit. You have you even like spirits from grapes. So I was like just really got pulled in. Then one day I was just thinking to myself, oh. 
well, they don't, the Chinese sites, they don't let me write, write on their website. Maybe I can write an English novel. So once I had that idea, it just kind of, it just kind of grew root in me. I just, I was never so determined to finish a book before. I started writing right away. But soon I realized English novel writing is very different from writing an IC or an article. So I decided to start from scratch. So I read a lot of novels and I also bought a lot of books about novel writing. But I think the best thing I did was joining a local writers group. In the beginning, I just listened in those group meetings and I hear people criticize other writers' work. And I learned a lot from them that, for example, don't overuse your adverbs, stay in your POV, and no info dump, all these kind of things. So finally, one day I said, I think I'm ready. So I started writing epic fantasy. It's uh, probably the hardest genre, by the way, to start (laughs) writing your first novel. Epic fantasy, like anything that is epic, obviously it's going to require a lot of work, a lot of world building, a lot of research. You are fearless. (laughs) (laughs) I was because I was like, but I loved epic fantasy. So like they said, write what you want to read. But it took me a long time to finish that book because it's like I brought it to the group. They criticized. I went back, revised, brought it back. Yeah, I think it took me four years to finish that book. So, but I learned a lot through the process. So, yeah, now now that I think back, mm, it was not a good book. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said, I was fearless. So... I created agents with that book. <laughs> oh my goodness, of that's course. impressive for like your first <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> yeah, and I was, yeah, I, of course, I got all the rejections. And then, okay, I said, okay, fine, fine, whatever. Even, even, even the Stephen King got all these rejections for his first novel, right? So, big deal. So, put it aside, then wrote the next book. It was a portal fantasy about a uh, Woman got modern woman got transported through a portal to a fantasy world. I actually hired a bunch of, I think I hired three developmental editors for on that manuscript. I spent a lot of money, but two of them were very helpful because they were writers themselves, they were published writers themselves, and I think though what I learned from them was invaluable. So, so maybe in the end it was worth it. So again, I acquired agents with that book. <laughs> so a bunch of rejection. <laughs> then one agent did say that she liked my writing, but she said there's no market for this book. So I said, okay, fine. Put it aside. Then I started writing a bright heart. And again, it was in the beginning, of course, it was not called a bright heart. It was like two major rewrite and many, many revisions later. Now, finally, A Bright Heart was published. So, <laughs> so that is my journey of becoming published. Lots of, lots of rejections, <laughs> lots of rewrites. That is a very familiar <laughs> story with all authors. But I'm also really a lot of impressed. perseverance and a lot of, yes, you know, of like not giving up, which is, yeah, really impressive. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's really, really impressive. Oh, oh thank um, you. I mean, you you talked about like how there wasn't like how an agent said, oh, I like your writing, but there isn't a market for it. And mm. I feel like that has changed quite a bit in the last five years. We've seen a rise of Chinese and Asian inspired fantasies. I mean, the, the books that come to mind are the Book of Tea series by Judy Lin, yeah. uh, Jade Fire Gold, uh, Daughter of the Moon Goddess. Uh, did that ease your worries about Western readers diving into the world of your book? Like, did you feel like you had to like hold their hands when you were building your world? Or were you like, oh, it's fine. Like there are, there are other Chinese inspired fantasies out there. They'll get it. You know, actually, when I started Bright High, it was actually set with Western characters because I felt that I couldn't get published if I wrote Chinese characters. or, or And it was Western setting, Western characters. Then, then suddenly I started reading some really wonderful Chinese fantasy stories. And then I was like, why would I change my characters to fit the market? I mean, if this... If these wonderful readers, writers, Asian writers can make it work, I can too. So I, that's one of my major rewrite involved. I basically change all the characters back to Chinese. And, and also I change the setting to kind of like alternate Asian China. So it, it is wonderful to see so many Asian authors are gaining success in the Western literary world. It's phenomenal. Even on my, on my social media account, sometimes I would get people commenting saying, yeah, the wave is coming <laughs> for Asian fantasy. <laughs> so, so that's kind of, that's kind of encouraging. So I do think that Western readers are eager to read beyond the, beyond the Western fantasy and they want to, they want to explore the rich tapestry of, you know, the rich landscape of Asian fantasy. And, I mean, just just look the not not only the books, look the TV shows. I mean, I mean, I mean, like, look at Netflix. So, <laughs> yeah, the Netflix has so many wonderful Chinese fantasy shows. I even had one Caucasian girl approaching me at my book lunch, say, "Have you watched this one? Have you watched that one?" I'm like, "Oh my god!" I say, "You watch more Chinese fantasy shows than I do." <laughs> so yeah, so that's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your book to the people who haven't heard about it? I mean, it has the rebirth and revenge trope, which is very, yeah. very big in Chinese fantasy, but it might be new to our yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah, it is very big in in China. It's so big that it's its own kind of genre. So some if you go to their those online sites, you just click on that one. It just says revenge, reverse and revenge. <laughs> this one just like, yeah. So in a bright heart, so Minxin helped the man she loved become king. But soon after his coronation, Ren betrayed and murdered her. Uh, as she's dying, she also learns that her uncle and uh, cousins murdered her mother as well. So she prays to the gods to grant her a chance to make things right. Uh, her wish is granted. Uh, she wakes up two er years earlier and her mother is still alive. Uh, she swears revenge, uh, revenge upon all her enemies while protecting her family from harm. Uh, like in her previous life, uh, four princes compete for the throne. Mingxin teams up with Prince Jie. Uh, they make a fabulous team. 
because he respects her intelligence and always has her back. But the timeline in this life has changed, and she can no longer pre- predict what happens next. A dignitary from a kingdom of magic has、uh, set his eyes on her for a possibly dark motive, and Ren is willing to do anything, including selling his soul to become king. So, can Mingxin, a merchant's daughter, outmaneuver a palace full of people who have learned to manipulate and、uh, mastermind since birth? Yeah. yeah, that's one thing I love about not just like Chinese fantasy, but just like Chinese historical stories as well. I feel like Chinese creators they do court politics so well and court intrigue,、yeah. and I don't know if it's、yeah. because like history has shown us. Yeah, I think so. Ruthless, think、are. about it. It's three. I mean, five thousand years of Chinese history is full of court intrigue. <laughs> So I was like, of course it, there like, would be princes like vying for the throne. Of course, like I was、oh, just yeah, like, yeah, always because <laughs> <laughs> I think especially you know during Kangxi's reign, when you heard of Jiuzi Duodi, the nine nine princes vying for the throne, that was that has a huge impact on today's you know literary world because. You constantly not just stories inspired by that historical event. That historical event itself got turned into TV shows so many times. I mean, it's like such a, a big conflict. You know, you don't even have to come up with a conflict、yeah. for for like a big court intrigue story because you always have like very power hungry individuals at that or. That are ruthless. That will do whatever it takes, and it just creates a really fun dynamic. Yeah, especially like Chinese imperial court, where there's multiple wives, all of their own sons, and different queens yeah, and consorts, yeah. all like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because like in Europe, you just have one legitimate wife, so you just whoever whoever like she probably have like two or three. Children and but in Chinese court is like we have like twenty sons, <laughs> and everyone wants to become the emperor. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned like the Asian style of like web novels and that being like the publishing industry because I spent. A lot of the pandemic, bored at home, so I started reading a lot of webtoons, which a lot of them are based on adaptations of these web novels. And so the tropes that are in your book, the regression, the revenge story, it's like oh, the, when I read the the log line, I was like, oh, this sounds very familiar. Was this the type <laughs>、yeah. of story that you were really into too? Is that why you wanted to write your own? Like, what inspired you to write this type of story? Yeah, yeah, I actually read a lot of those stories. Some of them are quite quite famous. And it got turned into TV shows like Princess Wei Yang. It's been played on on Netflix right now. But of course, the TV shows they change a lot of the <laughs> plot lines. But I liked the book much better. Also, there are some other famous like story called Junjiling that was turned into TV show as well. It was also a famous revenge story. Like so, basically, you already know what this kind of story is about. Like. They just like, like a girl got betrayed by people who she, she loved, but she miraculously gets a second chance at life, and then she is able to seek justice and right the wrongs done to her. What like 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 I said, what really draws me in for one is you know 
okay, I've always loved a revenge story. Okay, so who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, it's just very exciting and satisfying to see, especially to see someone from a disadvantaged group able to fight back their bullies or suppressors, usually from privileged group, and then they get the justice previously denied to them by by the system. So, so. That's one aspect. The other thing is, like I said, I really like the court intrigue because I grew up watching those shows with a lot of like political maneuvering, and also I also like those slow burn romance. It's real slow burn in, in Chinese dramas. <laughs> yeah. It takes like fifty episodes for them to kiss. <laughs> yeah, we always introduce them as, "Oh, this is the hottest guy ever that just walked into the scene." Oh yeah, yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's true. And then also, they always feature strong, you know, a female uh, strong protagonist. Uh, I also like the the main character's journey as she grows like wiser, braver, and more confident, despite the limitations placed upon women by such societies. Um. So I was like, yeah, why don't I write a story? I mean, I enjoy those stories. I can write one too. And I can introduce them to Western readers, and also, also it's another great way to introduce some elements of Chinese culture to Western readers too. Oh, uh, but but like you like like you guys said, because it's such a big genre in Chinese literature, so you don't need to explain how she got a second chance. Yeah. She just she just gets it. <laughs> so, but but it's not gonna work for the Western readers. They're gonna be like. That's a big plot hole. So I add a lot of magic to the story to explain how this happened. And also, the other thing is, I do feel that a lot of those stories in China, they often pit, they often pit women characters against each other. That's one aspect I wish they would read less of. So I actually added some female friendships to the, to my my book because even in western world i feel like that's it still has a lot of room to grow <laughs> yeah. i love the fact that you had female friendships because like you said a lot of chinese stories and also western stories women get pitted against women especially if it's mm -hmm. court intrigue like everybody wants to be on top but it's so nice that you had like Princess Yunlei and also Fei, the uh, bodyguard of Ming Shin, mm -hmm. who are like very strong female characters because not only can they fight, but they also have a lot of compassion. And I just love that dynamic between them. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about how you developed the friendship between Ming Shin and those two characters? Like I said, I just first of all, I want you know, the princess and Faye to be, to be able to stand on their own. So Faye, she's she's fearless. She can fight. She teaches Mingxin to fight, and she you can see that she's not afraid of speak up her mind. If she thinks that Mingxin is doing something wrong, she although she's just a bodyguard, she has no problem pointing it out and telling her. From the beginning, I wanted to portray her as a very, very strong female character who, whose intelligence matches missions. And she was kind of like prejudiced against by the system. 
you know. So if she were born a boy, she would be the obvious candidate for the throne, better than all of the boys. I mean, although I like Jir, I still think that Minlay is better candidate for the throne. <laughs> so I, I mean, um, in terms of yeah. blood ties, yeah, like genealogy, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, like if if it was <laughs> a society where women could rule that would have like she would have totally beat out the competition that brings me to my next question like the rival kingdom of daozhou is nanyuan they wield magic as opposed to the main kingdom in the book and they have a more egalitarian society where women have more rights and they're able to have positions of power why was that so important to include in your world building and also like you know, Ming Xin could have easily been in that kingdom as opposed to Daozhou. So what was your decision in, like, what was going on when you were making that decision? Um, I felt that from the beginning, the goddess Nuwa, he, she created humankind, and then they should give the power equally to men and women. I don't think those women would just sit back and let the men take their rights away. But that was a very good question. Maybe I need to address that in the sequel. Why is it more equal in why the women were treated much better, much more equally? It's not because men give it to them. It's because they say, we have those rights, we're not giving away. Yeah, you're not going to take this away from us. I'm just glad that you mentioned that there's going to be a book too, because you know while the story had a really satisfying end to it, you did leave a lot of threads open. So I'm glad to hear that there there might be more. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was actually when I started writing reading it, it was meant to be a standalone, but the story just grew much bigger than I could contain in one book. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that we are getting a second book because obviously the throne, the the battle for the throne has not concluded yet, and there is still some plotting with your with your villains. You still have Uncle Yi and you have Aelin. <laughs> I do love your villains because in in Minglin's first life, you you get from her flashbacks, you get from her inner narration that her villains were very deceptive. They were very like kind to her and they were just completely different people but it's really tricky to have that past life be told in present form so like how did you go about plotting two alternate timelines like did you have an outline for like Mingxin's first life and then you like compared notes or did you write the first timeline and then and then the second timeline like what was your process uh, it's more like I outline the second lifetime. So how she is going to take her revenge. She's going to plot her, her early move. So basically, as a writer along, then I'm trying to figure out what happened in the previous life that led her to, because she's a very smart girl. How did this, how did these people manage to fool her? So you got to make it believable to the readers. So at each point, she would think back to say, to analyze, how did they fool me? How so? So that's kind of my right process. So I wrote the second life first, and then 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 I then I go back to every each moment to think that how did this happen? And in the first life, she didn't notice. So you re- reverse engineered it. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
because it's, you know, it's technically a time travel story. And I feel like time travel, it's it's really complicated. You have to have everything just like laid out. But to be able to just write the second second life and just reverse engineer it, I think I think that's really mm-hmm. cool. That was a really cool way yeah. to weave the two timelines yeah. together. Yeah, at least I think that for time travel in fantasy, it's much easier than science for science fiction it has to be scientifically plausible but fantasy well well it's magic yeah i mean we mentioned that this genre is, is pretty common in, in asia but you know not as common in the states and i'm really curious as you're working on this book with your publishers and your editors like was there any aspect of story that you had to you know really push to make it into the book or was there anything that like what, what was the hardest part of like getting this story through the editing process oh actually it's the world building it's my editors her her edit letter is like five pages and i think three pages were devoted to the world building <laughs> So, yeah, it's because, like like I said, it's such a big genre in China. You don't even need to develop any backstory. She gets a second chance. She gets her revenge. She's done. But here, I have to, because I have to explain how she gained a second chance, if because I have to add a how, then I had to add why. So I spent, I spent like two weeks just coming up with a revision plan. And I sent it back to my editor. She said, "She said this is great." <laughs> so, yeah, so world started, building like, and fantasy yeah. is always the trickiest, definitely. Yeah. So then I just yeah. Then I I I went. I did two uh, rounds of editing, and I think the end result was great. So I added a lot more details of the world building to the story. I mean, one thing I liked about your revenge story as opposed to Western revenge stories, I feel like Western revenge stories, it's always like they want the person who is trying to do the revenge to stop. You know, they, they're always oh, just yeah, like, if, yeah. you, if you don't, it's like revenge is not going to bring your family back. Or it's like, oh, if you do revenge, you're not like you're just as bad as the person that you're trying to get revenge from. But I just love how with your story and with a lot of Chinese stories as well, it's like, no, just get the revenge. Like there's just like a satisfaction to a character just going for it. Yeah, I even even read some reviews where the people say this is a revenge story in its truest meaning. No forgiveness. <laughs> That's, they say, I love that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these types of yeah. stories, we, we're all anticipating the moment where the villains get like, get their just desserts, right? They, that they either repent or they like regret what they've done. Like, <laughs> is it also released for you to finally like write out what happens to, to the bad guys? Uh, actually, like, like the big, like, like Ren, I, I've always envisioned him as a psychopath. So, so actually, I already had his arc plotted out. So as the story progresses, it's just he grows more and more evil. It's because I want people to, all the readers to sympathize with the main character. Some because sometimes they feel sympathy with underdogs. If Ren keeps getting beaten by Minxin, they might start to get sympathize with Ren because that's just readers. Sometimes like they they just like. Have this 
kind of like a weird psychology. <laughs> so that's why I just felt like mm, to have the readers keep sympathize with Minxin, this guy just has to be more and more evil, and just like make readers feel that he totally deserves what's coming to him. Yeah, I mean, like in in a lot of like fantasy stories, there is a bias towards the villain because the villain is so charismatic, and sometimes they do have good points. Yeah. You know, like if they're trying to like overthrow <laughs> the current regime, it's like yeah, they have some good points, and you know they're also hot. So why not? Like I I stand by it. But with Prince Ren, it's just no, he's terrible, and <laughs> and because you know in in Mingxin's first life he is duplicitous. He you know has like this. Facade that he has for court, it's just kind of refreshing to read the book knowing that he's absolutely evil. But like, you don't have to go through, uh, I guess, like the emotional journey of just like, oh my gosh, like what, like how how could he betray us like this? I feel I feel like just knowing that he is a bad guy from the very beginning is it's a very different reader villain relationship to like other other western fantasies i've read that's great to hear <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i couldn't help but look through your instagram and you have a lot of art portraying your characters and <laughs> aesthetics for for the book where did you get the art and do you have any hopes for your stories to become illustrated as as like webtoons or a graphic novel one day yeah, actually, when I just started, when the publisher was giving ARC, someone read it and actually um, drew something of uh, Mingxin and the Jie and sent it to me. And it was it was really nice. But I, I don't think I can afford to pay her <laughs> <laughs> to to draw those. So if, yeah, if one day, if there are a lot of readers who love my story, I hope that it will get picked up by some other publisher who says, "I we would like to, we would love to illustrate your book. Uh, that would be good. Because I just, I just think that the Chinese culture is so rich. I mean, look at these Shensha stories and look at these fantasy shows. Look, look at these beautiful costumes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Beautiful costumes, indeed. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I would like to see that as well. So, like we mentioned, your book just came out. This week I was recording, so a few weeks ago when this episode will air, I'm sure you're busy with book launch and the promo tour. And you did mention the book two is coming. Are you working on that right now or is it? are you taking a break? Oh, I uh, actually already sent the manuscript to my editor at the end of uh, September. Wow. So I'm just waiting for the edit letter. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just eagerly waiting for the edit letter because I have two very trusted beta readers. And they read it. They said, it's great. So, yeah, that's exciting. And I, yeah. They, yeah, they think that it has a very satisfying conclusion. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, eager to see how the world opens up in that second book. And congratulations. <laughs> Good luck with, with oh, that, that writing process. Kate, thank you so much for joining us on Books and Bulbas. It was great talking to you. And congratulations on the launch of your debut novel. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank you so much for having me with you and uh, asking those great questions. Awesome. <laughs> And that was Kate Chen Lee, the author of A Bright Heart, available now at booksellers everywhere, including, as always, the Books and Boba Bookshop, where your book purchases not only help um, support the Books and Boba podcast, but also your local bookstores. You can check it out by going to booksandboba.com and clicking on the bookshop link. 
Uh, and just a quick reminder, we're also supported by our Patreon members. So if you'd like to support our podcast in a more um, direct way, uh, become a Patreon member and you can get access to our members only Discord server as well as our monthly bonus episodes, which um, which were a lot of fun. This last one, uh, we were and I chatted about uh, my European vacation um, and her her not so fun vacation with, with sickness. Um, <laughs> before we go um, Rira uh, please remind us what we are reading for book club this month we are reading Squire by Nadia Shamas and Sarah Alfagi and it is a graphic novel that is uh, set in a West Asian inspired empire where you have a young girl who uh, is from a marginalized group and decides to join the army and it is it explores colonialism authoritarian regimes and like loyalty and heritage so a lot of a lot of good things a lot of meaty topics for a graphic novel so i'm really excited to dive into it yeah speaking of meaty i picked up the graphic novel um the other day and it is a meaty book too like uh, it'll definitely take me take me a while to get through it but um i'm loving it so far and i'm excited to chat about this with you um, at the end of the month, um, as always, if you've completed the book and have your own thoughts that you want to share, please let us know either on our Goodreads forums or on Discord. As always, we'd love to include your thoughts on our podcast as well. Um, but with that, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much to Kate Chenley for joining us. And um, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Bola. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Bola and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Bola and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Charlene Kay. I'm a musician, songwriter, and guitarist. Growing up, I loved music. Whether it was pop, acoustic, emo, I ate it all up. But as a Chinese-American kid living in Scottsdale, Arizona, I also felt isolated, never really seeing artists who looked like me or shared my experiences. So after years of performing on stages all over the world, I wanted to create a space to highlight the amazing Asian musicians who I knew were out there, just not always getting played on the radio. That's why I started Golden Hour, a podcast where Asian singers, songwriters, instrumentalists, and music producers share their personal stories. And it's a space for you to discover your new favorite artist. Listen to Golden Hour with me, Charlene Kay, wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. 